Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow. I am MMM's executive editor, and I'm thrilled to be a part of this sponsored podcast with Helio. Um, this podcast is why product design and usability matter in supporting HCP engagements. And to discuss the topic, I am joined by Helio's Andrew, Andrea Gaiman, who is the chief product officer, and Matt Deccan, who is the vice president, deep engagement and custom solutions. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how good product design and usability are essential today in delivering online engagements and supporting HCP education. Matt, Andrea, thanks so much for joining. Thanks, thanks Larry. Happy us. to be here. All right. We have our now standard first question in almost everything we do here at MMM, whether it's a podcast or an interview for a story or anything else. I'd love to throw up by both of you. Um, the question is, how are you? Um, how are you and yours holding up amid the continued uh, craziness? How has Helio done over the last uh, year and a half or so? Andrew, you want to start? Sure. Um, I We're holding up well. Uh, I think it's been a challenging year, challenging two years for everybody, but I think we're in a really good groove. Um, I think we've been doing really well as a whole, adjusting as a company. Everybody really sort of jumped on board with the remote working and um, we've been thriving. It's amazing to see as a company how quickly everyone adjusted and uh, we're, do we're doing good. How about you, Matt? So personally, I, I'm a father. I have two younger boys, both very active in sports. And the pandemic obviously shut us out of that for a lot of it. So getting them back into a normal routine more recently has been good to see, both from a mental standpoint, as well as just a physical exertion of their energy and helping them kind of navigate that. Um, on the on the work front, um, as Andrea mentioned, we have just seen tremendous growth on the Helio side. The transition to working fully remote for most employees, um, you know, kind of helped with that sort of inevitable work life balance that I think we all sort of had struggled with pre-pandemic with traveling and being on the road in front of clients. But, you know, we, we figured it out. And I think we have a really awesome team internally that, you know, kind of helped move things forward for us. On the client front, we were already engaged with a lot of these big pharma companies prior to COVID, and we had already been working with them. But we saw quick acceleration and adaptation to our products and an interest in them um, as soon as the pandemic really kind of hit home, that live events were not happening, even after that first essential two weeks, right? So that two-week period that we were told, you know, it stretched. So uh, brands were quick to kind of move to looking to adapt digital products and help them. And we were luckily on the deep engagement side positioned well for that. That actually leads in uh, neatly to the you know topic at hand, um, you know, especially good product design. I mean, it was certainly important prior to all of this, but it's, you know, doubly important now as everybody struggles to connect however they're doing it, some limited in person from afar, everything else. Get, give me sort of a state of the union for, you know, what we've been seeing. Um, what, what are some of the concerns that have kind of risen to the forefront over the last, you know, year or so that, you know, maybe we didn't see as much of historically? Sure. Um, I, I, in engaging with customers on a frequent basis, it became very clear in the early piece of the pandemic that we were a very uh, an industry married to live events and being face-to-face. -face. And so that transition to being 100% virtual 
being on the other side of a camera, trying to uh, actively engage customers and trying to drive business um, obviously was at first challenging, but um, given the resources that we internally have put in place and had put in place prior to um, the pandemic itself, we were really well positioned to kind of help produce digital solutions for customers. And as a company, we too were pretty reliant in some of our markets with face-to-face -face live meetings that we ran ourselves. And those, those pieces of our business had a quick pivot to digital products as well. Um, and so we really were able to feed off of each other, each other internally. And I think it really helps that sort of customer engagement um, that we saw on the back end as well. Um, Andrea, um, we're talking about this, you know, this is almost a silly question, but you know, some, some of the issues around product design and usability, do, do they matter more now than they did previously? Um, give me sort of a, a broader historical look at um, how some of these issues have been confronted, you know, not just by Helio, but by um, other organizations that preceded it. Yeah, so um, I think the the one thing for us that stayed consistent is kind of how we approach our, our new product development. And that really begins with us trying to understand our clients' objectives and then marrying those with what is the best product to support the campaign with our clients and our audience, it's key for us to be constantly talking to them. So I think that that has now been more important than ever with um, what we're the state that we're in right now, because um, things are changing so much. People are online more. And so for us, we continue this process of sort of not only examining our data to see what's happening, but how can we constantly talk to our customers? How can we talk to the HCP audience and just see what are their pain points? What do they need help with? And then use all of that information when we're working through with like, what is the best piece of education? What is the best way to get out this material? So as Matt said, um, we've had to shift from a lot of these live face-to-face -face meetings to now relying on these digital tools we have that, you know, what's the best way to get that engagement online through clear product creation, clear product design, all of these things come together to help support our HCPs with their learning. Uh, the tenor of the conversations that Helio has been having with its clients, how, how has that evolved? And what are some of the things that you're hearing from clients over maybe the last three or four months, you know, since things have returned to, you know, something akin to normal about product design, about usability. You know, what, are, what are some of the things that, what are some of the refrains that are being sounded more often? Sure. So just engaging with our customer base on a frequent basis, everyone's aware of digital fatigue. And I think that is where we really sort of excel because of our usability testing. So we understand what it takes to kind of navigate and move a physician, a target list HCP, for instance, through a piece of material, where instead of just relying on consistent, you know, sort of standard tactics, we have sort of these intrinsic motivators on the back end that we can use to kind of leverage and help drive deeper engagement. A lot of teams are faced with sort of the lack of in-field um, connectivity that their teams have. And so they're trying to either create sort of surround sound to kind of help motivate and keep in touch with these target list HCPs. 
but they're trying to do it in a way that they're not exhausting the messages because a lot of teams, while they were quick to create materials to get into a digital format, there's not a robust amount of them to support brands. So they're oftentimes using a lot of the same repeat material and sort of getting clients to think about this sort of designing around device uh, being device agnostic and what is what is the end user where is he going to be he or she going to be and how are they going to want to engage with this material best and kind of the interaction I have with clients is understanding what they have what they're trying to communicate and then on the back end look at what we can do on our end to kind of help surface that material at that right moment this is something both of you touched on a tiny bit, but how do you walk that line? On one hand, you do have the amount of digital fatigue that everybody is feeling, you know, HCPs, you know, <laughs> journalists, everyone. Um, but at the same time, you know, digital is such an intrinsic part of everything we do right now. Um, is there a way that Helio has been able to balance those two, you know, those two considerations? Yeah. Um, so, Larry, one of the, the things that we use with our whole UX process, and I think perhaps other people may take it for granted, but is just following basic usability norms down to the simple notion of worrying about the topography. Are there clear call to action buttons? You know, topography is so important because it holds the audience's attention, you know, making sure the, the messaging is reader friendly. You know, there's some um, basic things that we've been going through to help combat this digital fatigue. You know, there, as Matt said, there's so much of this same messaging going out there. And, you know, just some of the basics is your email clear? Is there a hierarchy? Do we know what should be that next best action to take um, through this design. And so, you know, with Helio, we've really been focusing on that because all of these things help support um, the environment that you're learning in. Matt mentioned um, being device agnostic. You know, a couple of years ago, everybody was saying, oh, is it mobile responsive, mobile responsive? But it's more than just being mobile responsive. It's really saying, are we designing the experience for mobile where we're prioritizing the messaging? What should be up top? What should come next? And not just relying on designing for a big desktop and then the tech, you know, prioritizes the order of things. And so all of these things kind of come together to help support and um, aid in reducing some of that digital fatigue with that messaging. And it sounds, it sounds easy, right? It sounds like it's something that we should all, we all shouldn't have just taken for granted, but I can't tell you how many times we've engaged with customers that have come to us with these notions where, oh, we can't, we can't produce something like that because that, that didn't work well on this platform, or we tried that out here and it didn't work. We didn't get what we wanted and sort of understanding what that, what that mode was that we were disseminating it with. Um, and then who your customer base is, you know, it's, it's, it sounds um you know, sort of cliche, but you have to know your customer, right? The end user, and you have to be there where they want to consume it. Andrew, I'd like to go back to what you were talking about with um, device being device agnostic. How, <laughs> how do you get this right? I know that's an inelegant way to put it, but, you know, you have, you know, there's, um, I think Matt alluded to it, you know, there are so many conversations that begin with, well, we tried it this way, we don't want to do it again. How do you kind of pull people back and say like, all right, well, here's why it might not have worked that first time. Here's what we can do to make it work this time. And, and in turn, you'll know, provide that better user experience. Yeah, so um, everything that 
that we do, first of all, we're again, sort of digging into the research. We usability test our existing products to kind of get that baseline and, and confirm how it's being used. You know, there's there's times where we're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't even think about that in our first iteration. So we go through um, testing the existing product. Then we're um, researching what else exists out there. Are there things that we could do better? And then um, we do usually a design ideation with our UX team. And we're kind of saying, you know, what is the material that we have? What is the purpose of the material? What are the objectives we want to get? And then we are designing across those different devices. And then before we launch anything into the market, again, we're usability testing it with a pool of HCPs just to confirm are they using it correctly? Can they navigate? Are they the hypothesis we have about this experience? Is it true? And, um, you know, we found that this is our fail safe before launching it into the market. And then, you know, hoping once it's in the market that it is being used, this sort of helps us get ahead of that. And um, it works really well. I think um, one, of, one of the two of you alluded to this a little bit already, but um, intrinsic motivators and how they can help with increasing online engagement. Um, what, what are some of these motivators? Tell me a little bit about, um, again, to put it very inelegantly, about how, how it works, how they work and how they can fuel that better experience. Andrea, do you wanna talk a little bit about what we have identified in some of our customer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the studies show that basically intrinsic motivators are strong, better, and last longer in changing a person's behavior. So we are all using intrinsic motivators in, in our life today, whether it's with, um, let's, let's just take fitness, you know, your Apple watch, your, your closing the, you know, loop on your Apple watch. I had a trip to France and I wanted to use, um, brush up on my French. So, you know, using the app Duolingo to help learn, you know, those intrinsic motivators of congratulations, you've completed this level, um, you're leveling up. So we've been looking at intrinsic motors with our um, MPP products as a way to say, how can we balance, you know, some of these motivators with learning? Some examples that we've done is um, we have a, a current gaming um, type model, and um, we're looking at the use of rewarding people with points as they get through some of this content. And um, that's, you know, we're, we're finding that's encouraging them in this learning as a motivator for things. Um, gamification, you know, what you just described with the points. Um, what, what, what are some of the other tactics beyond that uh, that are resonating with HCPs? You know, what are some of the learnings that you've had over the last I don't know, year or two years um, to, you know, update it and make sure that, you know, these motivators, you know, really are, you know, motivating. Yeah. So other examples are, um, you know, breaking out pieces of, of content, you know, into smaller bite-sized chunks and finding a way to help people level up or unlock 
that next piece of content related to them. Um, we found that's another way to help with getting a deeper engagement versus, you know, how busy people are. So um, breaking content out into these micro pieces of learning, um, that's another way that we found has helped support them. Um, email is, is another one. So what we've been doing with our technology is after somebody engages in one piece of content, we'll send them the next piece of content at that exact time of need. Um, and that, you know, we have found has appealed to their intrinsic motivators and like, oh, great, you know, I digested this one piece of content, send me the next best piece of content related to that topic. Larry, I did want to share with you, <laughs> Matt, Matt's laughing, but um, when we talked about how we, you know, go through um, usability testing of an existing model, we were probably one of the first people to have um, a gaming model out in the market. And so again, we'll, we'll go through usability test, you know, some of these hypotheses. So one of them was we had a, a leaderboard and, you know, you see a lot of leaderboards in, in gaming, but um, the feedback we got with our HCP audience was actually, you know, I don't want to be on a leaderboard and unless I'm competing within my institution, you know, who are, who are these strangers that I'm, I'm on a leaderboard and, and that's not motivating to me. Um, and you can kind of a, a apply it, you know, for, for those with their Pelotons, like, is, is it motivating to be on that leaderboard or are you, you know, you sick? You don't know who you're going up against. Right? Yes. Joe Smith. Oh, he's in my class again, you know? So, um, you know, that was an example where we, we use that information to say, okay, well, our, our education isn't just tailored to that particular, you know, cancer institution. So what are other ways that we can support the, the, no, the notion of gaming and, and motivators? I think it's important to piggyback that. I think the engagement with the customer, understanding what assets we'll actually be creating, kind of help us identify, you know, what that content path or that content journey looks like, right? So if it's if it's video, perhaps it's video overlay to make sure that they're actively engaged with the video at the time and they're consuming it. If they want to jump out into a different experience, they can. Um, clearly, kind of identifying that next best action for them in that process without making it seem almost too cookie cutter and or in their face, right? So unlocking something to move forward or breaking through to move on to the next piece of content. And I think kind of feeding those pieces along the way. Physicians are just like, you know, uh, you and I, they're, they can be competitive, right? And they're ultra competitive with each other. And so allowing them to compete for this sort of knowledge um, and kind of breaking through and pushing through, um, we, want, we want to feed that to them to kind of keep them going. When you, when you, you know, when you have those initial conversations you know, with clients and you hear what they're hearing back, what, what, what are some of the things that you want to hear? You know, do you want to hear but that you are fueling that sense of uh, competitiveness? What, what, are, what, are, what are some of the best feedbacks that you've received recently? Um, and, you know, certainly I imagine there are many, but what are, what are some of the ones that, you know, kind of, you know, made everybody around the office want to, virtual office want to high five? 
Yeah, I mean, just a recent interaction we had, just average time spent within an activity um, was actually four times that of what they had pre-pandemic had as far as a sales interaction in field, right? So getting physicians into material that they were digesting, responding to, and spending quality time with. And that's something that I think we see across the board, whether that be video or long form or even gamification. The amount of time that we can keep a physician actively engaged with material at any given one time, and maybe even also looking at repeats. How many times are they coming back to consume this content? And are they picking up additional information on the way, right? And we are serving it to them at the time that they want to consume it on a vehicle, whether it's iPad or desktop, that they want to consume at that moment, right? There's nothing more frustrating than to want to get into something, but you're you're held back because it's not the right mode or it's not, it's not visually appealing and you're confused, right? You and I as customers see that all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've clicked into an experience via an email I got that was not ready for me, right? And then that gets into the whole personalization piece too, right? That Physicians want things to be tailored to them, right? They don't want things that are cookie cutter and spam like, and and we want to avoid that and kind of evolving customers to think like that. You can't just take a canned message and send it out to the masses, right? We want to make sure these are personalized because that's the best bet of getting these customers engaged. Yeah, it's fine. It's exactly what I wanted to refer to next. You know, I think you referred to it as the the personalization. Um, how, How... I mean, again, this is kind of a kind of a silly question because the answer is it's super important. But how essential is it for personalization to be a huge part of any NPP program? So, I mean, there are still ones and it amazes us. We see examples of them that are just, you know, you change the name and that's, you know, at this point. OK, it's right. not 2005 anymore, basically. Right? Um, right. Tell me a little bit about that. I think that there's a couple different ways to approach it, right? You can literally take it as personalization. So that's adopting the physician's name. Um, I think personally, and I think the Helio perspective is that that, you know, there's a, there's a fine line between effective, effectively doing that and then going beyond a boundary, right. And making it almost creepy. Um, but then at the same time, you know, and what we've encouraged a lot of clients is to not look at the individual physician, but instead of maybe even consider the way they're segmented or the way they're specialized, right? And and serving them material that's related to what they're actively doing or a patient that they're actively coding for or prescribing for a certain therapy and identifying them that way to drive interest based on a therapeutic or a disease state that they have interest in, not just sending them sort of canned messages about XYZ therapy, right? It, and instead, you know, why it's important to look for this type of patient or why it's important to consider this sort of, sort of therapy at a moment that's of interest to them. Do, do, do clients get this? I mean, I, I think there's sort of an inclination of, you know, well, you know, we're going to be the ones, we're going to be the Sherpas, we're going to be leading into this thing. I mean, is there ever a situation where it takes a little bit of persuading to make sure that personalization piece is as fully realized as Helio likes to do? Sure. I think a lot of clients are moving in that direction. Um, You know, we have a lot of clients that are looking to kind of back into next best action sort of models, right? So a physician enters an experience, they get one message, they move on to a next message, and we follow them through that content journey itself. I think some of the biggest challenges we face, and a lot of times in interacting with customers, I get this, is the the MLR boundaries and the hurdles they will have to jump in order to create these sorts of assets, right? So we can become extremely complex with the sequencing that we can send via messaging, right, to drive physicians into these activities. 
However, the MLR burden increases with the amount of individual jobs or pieces that you're adding to the, the submission itself. And so there's gotta be this really fair balance. And that's where we lean really heavily on our Helio UX team to identify ways that we can duplicate here without impacting the ultimate result of driving XYZ physicians into an activity. Andrea, as you know, the person that's one, you know, obviously essential cog in that UX team, um, how, how do you execute on that? How do you, I mean, it's a pretty broad and pretty imposing charge. It is. And um, the, the best ways that we found is just trying to kind of talk to that team from the onset, you know, um, whether it's through the, the concept review, trying to do that earlier than later. So then the team is all sort of on board with what we're trying to collectively achieve. It's also been uh, very helpful when we, you know, have the backup data of, of how it works, when we have the data on our decisions with the design, you know, then they're more supportive instead of saying like, I want to change this, this button to match the, the color of our brand. We're saying, well, actually, you know, we're going to keep this button, this color, because it's going to help with making it clear that you're going to click through and the HCP is going to click through. So um, having that backup data, having that we have confirmed with HCPs that they can navigate and use has been, has been really, really helpful for us. Okay. All right, we're nearing the end of our time here today, but um, I wanted to throw one last question out to both of you. And it's, uh, it's, it's almost an unfair question given that you know the future is changing so uh, frequently, but you know, if we're having this conversation again a year from now, um, what, what do you expect to be telling me? What do you hope to be telling me? What, what are some of the major concerns that both of you have? And uh, what are some of the top items on both of your to-do lists? Sure. I think from a customer interaction standpoint, I hope that the next time we talk about these things, we've evolved to meet the new criteria that is set in front of us. So digital evolves much faster than any live or in-person uh, experience, right? So we need to make sure that we're ahead of that curve and understanding what those user patterns look like in six months, 12 months, you know, what is that, that future look like and making sure that our clients are ready to take that, right? If you had asked me a couple of years ago, everyone was talking about QR codes. You rarely see them these days, right? <laughs> and as phones adapted QR code technology into their cameras, you start to see that uptick there. Not that I'm suggesting QR codes are back, but I'm just saying that we need to be paying attention to these sorts of things, whether technology advances, um, physicians, you know, what does practice look like in five years, right? So we obviously saw the quick adaption, adoption, excuse me, um, of telehealth, where does that fit in digital products, right? And, and the moving the path moving forward. And I would love to, to say that in the future, we will have met the MLR burden, and we'll have figured out that, that, that key token. You know, the perpetual MLR burden, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, I would add, um, I, again, I think we're just scratching the surface with personalization. And, you know, as, as we talk about different changing HCP needs, as we talk about these, um, you know, rare conditions and, and 
niche areas of healthcare, that personalization is going to be even more important. You know, look at look at oncology, how fast it's changing. So again, being able to deliver products specific to those needs for those HCPs that are treating these niche conditions, you know, artificial intelligence, as Matt said, looking ahead, what is what is the technology that's going to best support personalization, working and and delivering that way. And then, you know, UX is near and dear to, to our hearts with how we create products. And again, it's just continuing to um, stay up to date on the norms, the technology, and then um, bringing it all together to continue to create the best experiences to support this type of engagement. Um. This, this is a challenge, obviously, but is, is it also fun? I mean, it seems to be, you know, your, you know, your job is to provide a good experience for people. And when they do, there is a good experience. There's always some delight. There's always some joy involved with it. I mean, is there a component of your jobs, which is fun that way? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think either of us would still be here if it wasn't fun, right? So the, the meeting, meeting a customer challenge or a market challenge, thinking about it, backing into a strategy, coming forth and pitching something to a new client, you know, that's what, you know, kind of gets me motivated. And I know that Andrea fully enjoys that on the back end, sort of like looking about what makes physicians tick in certain, in certain markets and kind of keeping them, you know, actively engaged. Well, that, that sense um, certainly came across in the conversation and it certainly comes across in everything that Helio does. So thanks to thanks to both of you for, for doing this. Uh, this was terrific. I'd love to follow up at some point and uh, see how our, our future vision's looking, you know? Perfect. Let's put that Definitely. on the calendar. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, many thanks to Matt Deccan and Andrea Gaiman for this conversation. This was Larry Dobrow for MM&M. Thanks for listening and be well.